right. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. I hope y'all are well, doing well, enjoying the cold snap, all that good stuff. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. As you're doing that, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to uh, everyone who was able to show up. And then all of you who weren't and uh, kept us in your prayers and all yesterday as we went and uh, delivered meals for Hope for the Holidays. It means a lot to us uh, that, that so many of you were able to come out and help with that. Uh, we delivered just over 60 meals probably to about, some of those got doubled up, but mostly to about 45 to 50, I haven't got the final number, homes. Uh, so uh, kind of in the area here. And so uh, y'all give God a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was very fruitful time. I look forward to see what the Lord will do uh, through some of those contacts we were able to make. Uh, today is the final week of James. We, we made it, guys. We've made it. And uh, today, I, I think James wants to finally, after five chapters, kind of leave us on uh, an up note, uh, kind of an upbeat anyway. And, and so uh, we're going to go through that today. Uh, Jordan, if there's feedback, I think I'm in the monitors again, and uh, it comes from there. So just letting you know. Uh, and so last week we looked at how true faith waits patiently. And so the whole time what we've been saying is that our faith, James has been saying, uh, and the way we've interpreted it is that our faith will be made visible or should be made uh, visible. And, and so uh, last week we talked about how true faith waits patiently. But even more than that, true faith waits patiently in suffering. And, and so how uh, the 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 good part of all of that is that suffering will not have the last word on your life, that Jesus has the final word there. And then so uh, today, I think James just kind of wraps the book up in a way that he's promoting community. And, and so what we're saying today is that true faith maintains community. And so we're going to look at how community doesn't happen uh just by accident, that it's something we have to be engaged in and thinking about, and it's something that has to be maintained. And so we're going to talk about some ways uh, to do that today. Uh, as we get ready to pray, I, I want to read something to you, and I think today's a great time uh, to do this. Uh, again, this kind of promotes this idea of community that we talk about so much. But many of you are aware that Mike and Alicia Stacy uh, lost their baby uh, just a few weeks ago, and, uh, and so... Uh, Alicia has written a note that she wants us to read this morning from the family and uh, to all of you. And so I want to read that to you, and then we're just going to pray for them and pray for uh, our time together. Amen. New Life Church family, we would like to thank everyone for all that has been done for our family in the past few months. The baby shower was greatly appreciated. The flowers were beautiful. We have some awesome cooks in our church, and the food was very helpful. But most of all, the prayers, the love, and support are helping to heal our hearts during this difficult time. For this, we are forever grateful. Please continue to pray for our family. We are so proud to call New Life Church our church family. We love you all. Love Mike, Alicia, Gavin, and our sweet Annalisa. And so, uh, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for the way that you have surrounded uh, the Stacy family during this time. I know they greatly appreciate it. And so uh, if you're comfortable, just would you stretch a hand towards them? If you're around them, you may place a hand on them. Let's pray uh, for them uh, as this is something that, just being honest, is something that many of us will forget about, right? It's just not something we're going to have to think about every day. 
Uh, but let's try not to do that. Let's be constantly in prayer for them and their family as they recover and uh, continue to remember Annalisa well. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the time together that we have now. Uh, God, I praise you for community. I, I praise you for the beauty of it in the middle of great trial and suffering, the way that the church body, the way that you've orchestrated uh, your body to rally together around one another when things uh, are not well and when things are well. But today, specifically, we remember Mike and Alicia and Gavin and sweet Annalisa, Father, and we pray uh, for continued healing of their hearts uh, continued uh, just steadfastness in the faith, uh, knowing that you are good even in the middle of great trial. And so, Father, even when we can't answer questions, we know that you hold all the answers. We know uh, that you still love us and that you are still good. And so, Father, I pray for them. I pray that those things would be remembered well, that your love would just fill their home during the holiday season. Uh, that hope would fill their home during the season. And uh, God, that our, us as a body would continue to rally around them uh, to encourage them during their time of need. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, thinking about the sermon, we live in a time that's a bit strange, right? Uh, and, and so what I mean by this is it's a bit strange when we start thinking about community, we start thinking about knowing people. Uh, most of us can immediately go to like social media. I looked at social media this week just to see how many Facebook friends I had, right? Because I thought, well, if I've got this many Facebook friends, it'll give me a good idea on how many like actual friends I have. It's like 983 Facebook friends, right? Uh, you want to guess how many of those I know really, really well? Just a few, right? Not very many. And so uh, the average adult we see has about 336 Facebook friends. That's the average adult. And so uh, this has kind of created this strange phenomenon uh, for young people and even people who aren't young, but specifically for uh, young people. When I was writing this, I wrote young folks, and I immediately thought, oh, no, I'm Ronnie Daniels, and so I erased it and said uh, young people. And uh, <laughs> anyway, but what happens is I've met with some guys recently who are like college age or just out, and they're, they're kind of getting into the dating scene, or maybe they have been, and they're trying to navigate the waters, and there's some dudes out there who just, they can't talk to a girl to save their lives, right? They're like, I'm just, I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to begin a conversation. And so uh, they rely on things like social media to talk to girls. And, and it just baffles me because I'm like, what woman would not want a man to actually talk to her, right? But I, I, just to give you an example, I talked to a guy uh, a few months ago who he had been talking to, right? That means they're in some sort of a relationship, talking to a girl for three weeks without ever actually saying a word to her, right? I, and I'm not lying. Like It was through Facebook messages. It was through text messages. I just said, dude, what are you doing, right? I, and you've never heard her voice. She's never heard your voice. And they were getting ready to go on a date. I was like, that's essentially a blind date, right? You don't know anything about each other. So uh, what I'm getting at is, is that what we see is uh, social media has effectively killed community. 
like a deep sense of community, a, a real community where we have face-to-face conversations, we're actively engaged in people's lives. Now, don't get me wrong, I think it started happening long before that. Uh, you always hear, I always heard my parents joke about uh, garages with garage doors being put on homes. So you could pull into your garage, close your door, and just go in through a door and you never have to talk to your neighbors, right? And, and they always just talked about kind of the phenomenon of that and how it killed. Uh, used to, you would sit on the porch or you'd have to go in your front door and you'd actually communicate with your neighbors as you're coming in from work. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is, is we just don't, unless we're intentional about it, engage in community with people. We don't think about it very often. It's not something that's important to us. Uh, And I think a lot of it has to do with we have things like Facebook where we feel connected to people even though we're not connected to people. And so I mentioned that the average adult has 336 Facebook friends. Uh, According to the same survey, the average adult uh, has what they consider two true friends. So we've got all these friends on social media, but we've got two true friends, and then exactly 50% of that said they have one friend or no friends, true friends, right? And, and so I just begin to think, man, that, that's sad. That's sad. Now, I don't think you can be close to everyone. Like as much as I want to be close to each and every one of you, it's just not possible that we would maintain that closeness. It's hard to be close to a ton of different people, right? But just being able to have those four, five, six, seven friends that you're just really close to, or even one, Some of you are like, I just want one friend that I'm close to, one friend who knows me really well and I know them really well. And so uh, I want to talk to you about community today because I think the things that James points us to can only happen well in community. I I think we need one another more than we realize. And and so I I begin to think through this and I I thought, uh, and we'll read it here in a moment, but as I was reading this text, I begin to think about suffering. And when I go through suffering, I don't want to do that alone, right? I want people who are close to me, who will pray with me and be with me. Uh, When I go through times of cheerfulness, I don't want to have to praise by myself. I want to be able to praise God with other people and really think about uh, the goodness of God together and encourage people with uh, that. And, and, And when I'm sick, I don't want to be sick alone, I want people who are concerned about me and want to help care for me and pray for me and and things like that. I want to ask for prayer during those times, but if I've got no one, then I can't. I'm having to do all of those things alone. And so I I just begin to think, man, I'm like, I don't want this to be me. But but not even just for those reasons, like there's some other reasons that we'll get into today and uh, that I think are maybe even more important. And, And so as I thought through this, I thought, man, none of us want this. I don't think anybody in here is signing up for no community, right? Like, let me just go home and and be a hermit and and not have to be involved in people's lives. I I don't think it's what we want. I I think we all desire to be engaged in a part of true community or right community. Now, let me explain what I mean, because I think you'll run into people, and many of you may know people who say, I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't want to be a part of a body. I don't want to be a part of those things. I don't want to have community because I've been burned by that. And so my answer to that always is you haven't experienced true community. You've lacked a true community 
experience. And so uh, I think we all desire like a right community where we're involved in each other's lives. We love each other deeply. And we're looking out for one another. So uh, James closes this book here in ch- uh, chapter 5, uh, th- thirteen in verses 13 through 18. And you just get this overwhelming sense of community. And so after all the doing, right, James has been largely about do this, do that, and it's all based on who we are in Christ. And after all of that, we get this sense of the doing takes place together. That it's not just you who have to go and do, it's not just you alone doing these things, but the doing takes place together. We love one another, we care for one another, we help each other do the things that we've been commanded uh, again, together. And, and so we hold each other accountable for this. And so uh, true faith maintains community. And the way we're going to go through this, I just want to go through it just a verse or a couple of verses at a time uh, today. So it's a little bit different than we normally do it. But uh, true faith maintains community. Uh, the first thing you can write in your notes is prayerfully. True faith maintains community prayerfully. And so I'm just going to start in verse 13 and begin reading there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so again, during suffering, we do what? We pray. During joy or cheerfulness, we do what? We praise. Both of these are uh, prayerful in nature. Both of these are communicating to God uh, either needs or thankfulness for needs provided, right? And so, again, these things are so much better when they're done in community. Uh, When suffering, we can ask for prayer from others. When times of great joy come upon us, we can rejoice with others. Then verse 14 and 15, things change just a little bit. He says, "'Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil.'" Uh, that's not young living essential oils, okay? Uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So let's kind of walk through this. Uh, what he says is if any of you are sick, and the idea here is that you're kind of a bedridden sick or you're a homebound sick, and so you want the community to rally around you, the way that you do it is you call the elders to come and pray for you. They come and they anoint you with oil and they pray for you. And the oil is just simply symbolic of covering you in Christ. Amen? It's just covering you in the nature of Christ. There's nothing medicinal or special about it. We're just going to cover you and pray for you and ask God to heal you faithfully. And so uh, James is not saying that uh, in saying this, he's not saying as it could be interpreted that all will be healed. Right? It's just not, the death rate is one in one, so we're not all always healed. <laughs> it, we, we can be healed, and God certainly heals, but we're not all always healed. And so, because uh, the elders come and pray, because maybe the elders have strong faith, and that's another interesting thing here, it's not even calling the person who is sick to have great faith, it's calling the elders to have the faith here. But it's not due to the elders, it's not due to the great faith, it's not even due to praying with enough conviction. The healing is always a gift from God. And so uh, the way that I approach prayer Uh, and specifically prayers for healing of physical ailments or sickness, is to always come to God 
asking with open hands, Lord, would you heal? Lord, will you heal of whatever sickness, whatever this ailment is? And then I just trust God. And I'll continue to pray for the healing until it either happens or it doesn't. Amen? We just want to be, I think the key is sometimes we want to pray for things and we, we're a little afraid to step out in faith and pray for things. Uh, and then if it doesn't happen immediately, we just think, well, God doesn't want to do it. But a lot of times what you see through Scripture and what a lot of us can testify to is that God wants you to keep praying for that thing, to be persistent in prayer. Jesus teaches this when he says to keep asking, to keep knocking, to keep seeking. Uh, when he talks about the persistence of uh, the widow in a parable that he tells, he said it's a persistence uh, that caused the thing to happen. And so um, we should be persistent with request while always remembering Jesus's words when he instructs us on how to pray, not my will, but your will be done. And so even though I'm praying for something that I want to see, I want to see someone healed, I want to see something happen in my family, I want to see whatever it is, it, it should always be prefaced with, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And if it's your will, this is what I would like to see. And, and so in praying that, what we can have happen is our desires can be changed. God can teach us to pray according to His will. God will answer one way or the other, and then we'll know His will. And so that teaches also, but we should always come with open hands and persistence and just asking, God, will you heal? And just keep saying, will you heal? And then I love Jesus's teaching. I think we need to remember this because especially with sickness, we get caught up in kind of the long term or the next day or the next MRI or the next test or whatever needs to take place. And Jesus says when he's teaching on prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And so I, I think what we need to take from that and, and apply to all prayers is, God, teach me to trust you today. T teach me to trust that you're good today. Give me today what I need. I'm asking for whatever. Give me today what I need and teach me to trust that you're good today. Amen? And that all kind of goes back to the teaching that we had in chapter 4 on the Lord's will, Right? If the Lord wills, make these plans. If the Lord wills, say that you'll do this or you'll do that. Uh, but again, we're going to trust today that God is good. We're going to live in today. And so uh, Jesus, is he teaches that. He teaches trust today. And then when it comes to sickness or ailments and asking the elders to pray, we're just always going to trust that God heals. God is the one who grants the healing there. And then in verse 16, he's still talking about healing and he goes into, therefore, confess your sins to one another. So again, we see community. We see this overwhelming sense of community. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So if you're all by yourself and you're kind of on your own in the faith, you don't have anybody, who would you confess to? <laughs> Let me in. Who would you, um, who would you confess to? Who would you ask to pray for you? right? No one. You wouldn't have anybody to ask such a thing from. And so he says in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he says confess, pray with one another. All of that requires community. And then the reason he's saying confess and you may be healed is sometimes sin causes the sickness. 
Now, there's evidence of this in 1 Corinthians 11, that sin can be the cause of sickness, uh, but it's not always. And so don't hear that all the time if I'm sick or if someone's sick, it's because of their sin. We also have uh, it where Jesus heals the blind man and the disciples ask him, Lord, whose fault is it that this man is blind? Was it his parents, the sin of his parents, or was it his own sin? He says it's nobody's fault. He's blind so that the power of God may be made evident in his life, right? And so again, you see both. There's clear images of both, but there's this idea here of confessing your sin because sometimes it's what's causing the sickness. Now, I'll just tell you how I've dealt with this in my life and how I've seen uh, sickness, maybe not the sickness in the sense that we think of, but sicknesses such as depression, anxiety, stress. I've had those things enter my life when I'm battling sin or going through uh, sin or really just kind of in that battle or feeling guilty or all of those things about my sin. Those things will enter my life and just paralyze me. And I feel just the weight of those things as I'm battling. And what I've learned is confess that thing. Get that thing out of you. Whatever it is, tell someone about it. Tell, uh, if, you, if you're a man, ask a brother in Christ. Say, man, I, need to, I just need to tell somebody this. Somebody you're close to. If you don't have anybody you're close to. You need to find somebody to be close to. But you go to your brother and you say, man, I'm struggling in whatever area this is. Would you just pray for me? Would you ask the Lord to help me in this? I need to get this off of me because it is paralyzing me. And so there's this idea there of just confessing your sin to death, right? So sometimes we're not strong enough. Most of the time we're not strong enough just kind of in our own willpower, even willpower with God's help to overcome these things. A lot of times we need to confess them so that we can overcome. And the more we confess, the easier it gets to kind of overcome that thing because we're not battling it by ourselves anymore. And so, uh, <laughs> so many times we'll ask for healing and we'll do it without confessing sin. It'll be this idea of, so it's this idea of kind of treating God almost like He is Santa Claus or like He's uh, a, a pop machine, right? I'm going to come up, I'm going to put my coins in, I'm going to push the button for what I want, and He's going to give it to me. Uh, and so I think if we're going to come to God and we're going to ask for healing, we're going to ask for anything, we should be really aware of our sin. What's worse, your sin and the power it has on you or cancer? Sin. But we don't often see it that way. I'm not saying sin causes cancer. I'm just saying what, what's worse? What should we be more aware of? Sin. Sin and the power that it has over our souls. Sin and the power that it has over our, our affections and our love for Jesus. Sin and the power that it has over our affections and our love for people. And being, being willing, being able to even be open and honest. Sin completely paralyzes us. And so there's this idea here that coming to God without confessing sin to someone and asking for healing is wrong. The reason it's wrong is because it, it gives you this false, you, you have a false sense of who God is, first of all. You have a false sense of how powerful your sin is, second of all. And so if I'm going to be healed of anything in my life, I would much rather be healed of my sin than of my cancer. I would much rather be able to spend eternity with Jesus 
than be able to spend the rest of my however many years I get, 80, 85, 90, 100, if we're really lucky, years on earth. Right? I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to just push life aside. I'm not saying that. It's important to live. I love being able to live. But in the scheme of things, sin is far more important than my sickness. And so this idea of just always keeping it in, what I've found is really harmful for me. It's really harmful for my ability to be able to continue uh, to grow. And so we confess our sin, we ask for prayer, and at the very least, we'll experience spiritual healing. Or at the very most, depending on how you look at it. And so... This can't be done alone. You must have faithful brothers and sisters who are in community with you to pray with you. And and, uh, again, at the very least, you'll experience spiritual healing. And then you're also building a healthy community, a a community where confessing sin to one another and praying for one another becomes the norm, right? Again, this promotes that gentle, honest relationships that we talk about so much here. This promotes, again, making the real Jesus non-ignorable in our city, right? These are things that help make that possible. I love the words, the prayer of the righteous, because the prayer of the righteous is simply a call to all believers to pray for one another. He's not saying that the elders are super righteous. Uh, just get to know us. We're not super righteous, right? We're, we're faithful men who are uh, stumbling forward in life pretty often and just trusting God. But it's a call to all believers to be joined into community uh, with one another. And again, you can't do it alone, which goes against mostly everything you've grown up hearing either in church or in America. There's always this idea of just picking yourself up by your bootstraps, getting yourself together before you can go and be involved with others. We, We see that often. We kind of feel that often. Churches are very cold normally when it comes to relationships. We're not really involved with one another. We don't care for one another in those kinds of ways. And so uh, we end up just feeling like, man, i got to go through life on my own. You'll see this when people find it super easy to go from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church and never even give consideration to that group of believers that they're leaving behind. Man, that's just a hard truth. I'm not saying that that's wrong. There are seasons where you need to go from one church to the next, but it should not be something that's just easy for you to do. Why? Because I'm involved with these people. I love these people. If God ever calls me to another place, it will rip me to shreds to leave you guys. Amen? Pray it doesn't happen, right? Pray I'm here forever, that you guys will have me that long. Uh, Anyway, and so this, uh, kind of the medium that we give you for this is home groups. And I don't think home groups go deep enough, but it's a good start. You join a home group, and this past week in my home group, and I've heard some stories from some others, uh, we just had a really sweet time of confessing our need to be able to persevere patiently and the needs that we have there. And then we just prayed for each other in that moment. And so that's confession and prayer, right? This is building community. And so I invite you guys to, to jump in on that. And then James in verse 17 is going to give you an example Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. He says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours. What's he saying? He's just like you and me. 
He's flesh and blood, just like you and me. Uh, he's normal. But when, the, when you pray according to God's will, your prayers are powerful. Your prayers can do seemingly great and miraculous things. Now, the whole idea there is praying according to God's will. And so as community, we pray in suffering, we pray in joy, we pray for one another in sickness, we pray during sin, and we confess those things with one another with prayer. Uh, community is maintained prayerfully. It has to be. The second thing is community is maintained intentionally. We maintain it intentionally. And so verses 19 through 20 say this. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover, and will cover a multitude of sins. And so the wanderer here refers to a believer who has strayed from the truth, strayed from God's Word, strayed from all of these things that James has taught over the last four and a half chapters, right? Here is these things, here are these things for you to learn and to know and to do, be doers of the Word, and then this. And I love the way he ends this. If any of you are wandering away from these truths, go to that person. Seek that person out. Seek to restore their soul. In doing so, you'll save them. Amen? I, I love this. And so uh, the, the wonder is the believer's strength. It's that person who has been a hearer and maybe a doer uh, and is now just a hearer again. Like I, I come and I hear these things, but I just go and do whatever I want to do. I profess Jesus, but I still do whatever I want to do. It's, uh, it's someone who knows the right thing to do, yet doesn't do it. Right? And so James called that sinful in chapter 4. And uh, how do I, and, and so the question here for me as I'm reading this is, how do I know who a wanderer is? Like, How do we identify wanderers? How do we identify people who are straying from the truth? You have to be in community, right? You have to be in relationship with one another to know such a thing. I can't just read a Facebook post from one of you online and say, man, that person's straying from the truth, right? I, I can't just assume that and just say, well, I hope somebody helps them out, right? There, there's this idea of being actively engaged in holding one another accountable to the truths of God that we all know, that we're all trying to learn together. And so we must be in relationship, and that requires intentionality to even be in relationship. How many of you uh, have close friends that just happened without any work? <laughs> Nobody, right? Many of you are uh, married, and, and hopefully you're close to your spouse, and being close to your spouse required what? Great work. Daily work, still. It's this idea of being actively involved with one another. And so James, the whole point of James is, the book of James, that is, right belief equals right action. Right belief leads to right action. The way we've been saying is that your faith is made visible. Lord, let my faith be made visible that I would not only be a hearer, but also a doer of your word. And so healthy community happens only when, first, we place our faith in Jesus. We have to have a reference point to even engage in community, even find unity with one another. We place our faith in Jesus. It happens when we build relationships. I'm actively trying to build a relationship with others, right? 
Well, how do I do that? You join a local church body. Become a member there and start contributing and you get to know the people that you're around. And then you just hold one another accountable. The people I'm in community with and my home group, uh, the elders, the deacons, all of us, the way, the way that we're living, every one of you here hopefully has a sense of this kind of community, whether it's in a recovery group or a home group, that, that you're starting to see this. And then hopefully you have those relationships that are even more intimate than group relationships people that you talk to through the week, your families go and do things together, right? You're close. You've got somebody you can call when life begins to break down. And then what we see is when someone's wondering, you have that kind of relationship to even know that they're wondering, you go to them. And in going to them, they're restored. And we know that the restoration, it says there uh, that, that their sin, many sins will be covered. We know that God covers the sins, because only God can do that by Jesus' blood, right? But what we see is that God wants to use believers as agents of forgiveness. And again, in Corinthians, we see that we're given the ministry of reconciliation to preach the peace that's been made with God. And so we're able to go to people and say, hey, you're wandering from the truth. I'm as prone to do this as you are. Is there something I can do to help you? Can I pray with you? Can I help you? I, I know somebody that you need to talk to. Whatever it is, right? We seek ways to hold one another accountable and keep people in the family, keep people in the faith. I love the way Acts puts it. It says to be devoted to one another. So you're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to one another. And so here's what I don't want you to miss today is we need to be known and we need to know. We need to be known by others and we need to know some others. The one who knows us best showed us the way to be known. On the cross, Jesus took our shame that thing that makes us want to hide from God, that thing that makes us want to hide from others, He simply took that and removed it from us. Now as men and women in Christ, you don't have to hide any longer. Amen? And so I've heard it said that Good Friday was the day in which God outed every single one of us as not being good enough, as not being righteous. And so there's freedom in that and knowing that if I start to confess sins to some brothers, they may not confess their sins to me back, but they've got sins too. They've got things they're struggling with also. I have no need to be ashamed here. I need to engage in community with people. I need to be engaged with others. And that Jesus is the one I'm trying to make happy here. Jesus is the approval that I want. I'm not living for the approval of men or the applause of men. Amen? And so I have two questions for you today. Maybe they're a bit of a challenge. Maybe they're not. But just two questions. The first is this. Who knows you? And I don't mean just knows you like on Facebook. Who knows your fears? Who knows your failures? Who knows your successes? Who knows when you're sick or when you're suffering? Who knows your joys, your triumphs, and your victories? 
Who are you close to? And the second thing I would ask is, who do you know? Who do you know? You know their fears, their failures, their successes, their triumphs, their joys, their sicknesses, their sufferings. This is what community is about. When Jesus issues the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, he says, there's a second commandment that I give you. And it says, you love your neighbor as yourself. It's to love one another. So the whole point of life, again, I want to put this before you. As we say, if the Lord wills about things, the whole point of life is community. It's community with God. It's community with one another. It's to love God and to love others. That's something I can do every day no matter what plans I'm making. I can love God. I can love others. And so some of you may see that and you're like, man, this is daunting. You don't know how introverted I am. You don't know how much I I struggle just to be involved with people. It starts with one, right? It just starts with you going to someone that you look up to and saying, man, I, or woman, I don't know you. You don't know me. But what I'm seeing is I don't know anybody and I'm not known by anybody. And I want that to change. I don't want that to be my story. And so you, you just ask them, would you be this person for me? Can we meet? Can we get together for lunches and get to know each other? One of my favorite relationships in my life started absolutely randomly. I received a phone call of a guy that wanted some help. His wife wanted some help for him. And we just couldn't meet all the needs that were there. But one thing I said is, let's just start meeting together. Weekly. Let's meet together weekly. Ask some other brothers to join us. Matt joins us at least. Uh, at least Matt joins regularly with us. And we've just engaged in community with this guy. And Matt, has he not become one of our very best friends? I mean, it's, it's insane what God will do if you'll just commit to one another and say, man, I don't, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to struggle with you. I want you to pray for my struggles. I, I don't want to do life alone anymore. And that was his cry. I don't want to be alone anymore. I want some brothers in my life. So I praise God for guys who are man enough to say, I don't want to be alone anymore. It's not a weak thing. That's a manly thing. I say that because men struggle more with that probably than ladies do. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning?